Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 64 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful Town Bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, directly across from Winkies. We also service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can go to ellenbecker.com. And we've got pictures and offices, pictures that I'll give you a little bit of an idea of who we are. My guest today is Jackie Ronditi, and she is a senior consultant and a certified financial planner for Fiducient Advisors. And Fiducient Advisors is a company that we, the Ellen Becker Investment Group, work with and rely on really heavily to help us monitor what's going on in the world, to help us understand better how we're mixing and blending our stock portfolios with our other portfolios of individual stocks. We, as I always say, we have a recipe that uh, we really adhere to. And you know how sometimes you keep filtering in and changing the recipe. We stay pretty true to our recipe, but Fiducian really does help us to understand internally what's going on in, in companies and mutual funds and some of the various investments that we use. So Jackie, I want to welcome you to our show today. Thank you so much, Karen. So, um, you know, I think the direction we wanted to take the conversation was what is happening with the markets and how how investors can interpret volatility and risk. Um, and uh, the, the first thing I'm going to touch on is sort of those outlier events that are going on. We're all familiar with the pandemic. So we're sort of moving to the endemic phase. Um, I would say COVID has moved from front and center um, and now sort of hovers in the background, but certainly deserves mentioning. And um, I have some comments uh, on that. So, um, you know, from the onset of COVID, um, market drawdowns have really neatly aligned with the new variation. So as the Delta and Omicron, you would see those dips. Um, However, the severity uh, of the drawdowns has lessened over time as markets have moved from treating it as a unknown unknown to a known unknown. And what we know now is COVID zero is is probably pretty unlikely, at least in in the near term, that it will likely persist for some time. So it's really a secular trend. Um, And we're seeing that play out in, in China right now with the country seeing its worst outbreak in two years, prompting new lockdowns. Um, And those lockdowns in major manufacturing hubs and ports such as Shanghai um, also threatened to further harm that global supply chain we've been hearing so much about. And it felt like we were sort of getting through that. And and now we're seeing a few steps backwards. So things to be mindful mindful of. Other impacts of COVID have really uh, fallen across the investing landscape. Um, And with that, I'd point out really the the impact on market conditions um, and the disparity among winners and losers. And I would highlight 
um, the style war among growth and value, where you've seen the absolute return differences between the two styles more than doubling from the two years preceding 2020 to the two years after. And this is being played out in sectors, in factors, in countries and regions. So, so COVID's really heightened that volatility and choppiness. So something we, you know, we'll be talking about throughout this conversation. Um, and then you throw in geopolitical uncertainty. Um, you know, we're witnessing a four-week Russian ground invasion into Ukraine, you know, a humanitarian crisis of gigantic proportions. And that has also wreaked havoc um, and volatility across energy markets, across financial markets. You know, and this came after several months of already intense diplomatic efforts having failed to resolve or even de-escalate um, the crisis, which had already impacted the market adversely. Um, and I just highlight, as is often the case, investor overreaction frequently creates market anomalies with, with temporary stress often compelling investors to sell first and then ask questions later. Um, and so, you know, with that, we, we, we looked at some research from a, an institute called CFRA, and they analyzed 24 events since World War II and found like really three interesting pieces of, of, of information. Um, that the S&P fell on average 5.5% from peak to trough in the aftermath of those events. Um, and the market took an average of 24 days from the start of the event to reach a bottom. Um, the market recouped losses an average of 28 days later. So, you know, what, what can investors sort of take away, uh, you know, how to weather this storm? I would highlight several things. Um, headline risk is here to stay. So assess your risk posture ahead of that volatility with this. Is this, you know, are, are you not sleeping at night? You know, th th those things tell you that, hey, maybe I'm taking on more risk than I think I, I, I can take. Um, second thing is diversification. Um, the cost of not diversifying is higher, given that disparity among winners and losers that, that I spoke of. So, you know, something really important to, to consider. And then I would say, uh, ready the rebalancing playbook. Um, I would say it's really unlikely that COVID-induced market volatility or geopolitical-induced market volatility is going to fit neatly into that quarterly or annual rebalance uh, cadence. Um, and, and so I say ready yourself for this because uh, taking advantage of rebalancing creates opportunities. So you're essentially able to go in and sort of swoop in and purchase those beaten down risk assets that have been disproportionately punished. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, Im Im improve returns. So, um, you know, I open folks' eyes to, to potentially, you know, well, having a cadence is great, whether that be quarterly or annually, th this may create an opportunity. Um, and we saw that happen in 2020 when in the height of COVID, where uh, that large drawdown created an opportunity. And we think going forward, um, you know, frankly, we could see, we could see another. Um, and, and, you know, I'd also highlight that, you know, pullbacks um, should be expected over time. What's unusual sort of in this case is it is not that we've had a 10% correction. What's unusual is how long it's been between corrections. Um, in February, March of 2020, 
Um, back in COVID, the height of COVID, the S&P dropped 33% um, before recovery. Prior to that, the last 10% decline was, sept, uh, was late 2018 when the Fed talked about raising rates aggressively. And that period from September to uh, roughly around Christmas time, uh, the S&P declined about 19%. So that's two 10 plus corrections in the last three years and two months, uh, which works out to a correction every 19 months. Um, well, it sounds like a lot. It, uh, you know, it's below the historic norm of one times per year for a five to 10% decline or 2.5 years for a 10 to 20% decline. So frankly, in line with expectations, it doesn't mean it feels good, but you know, what we're experiencing is, is, is frankly is, is normal. You know, Jackie, I had read somewhere that um, the most, most of the stocks um, recover after any type of a civil war, any type of a, a war, um, the negative part of it is, and I think that was they, they had gains um, in the past 30 years from 1991 and then 2001, 2003, and 2014. But the big question always is, is except in a recession. And so I think right now, a lot of people are wondering, which is what happened in 2008, is, this a, is there a potential that with the rising interest rates, I believe it is a, if the Fed tightens it too much, um, we're going to have a problem. And if they loosen it too much, we're going to have a problem. So how are you as a company, um, how, are, how are you looking at this and how are you trying to determine um, that very fine line? Um, and could we possibly go into a recession? I mean, it's something. It's something we we, we have a capital markets team. We meet on a, a monthly basis where we're running our simulations, seeing if things are changing. But we're having conversations on a on a daily basis. You know, we we don't have a crystal ball. We, we don't think we're we're heading to recession at this point. You know, we've looked at, uh, you, you know, to your point about uh, about. Um, you know, conflict and, and, you know, how markets have fared, what, 12 months later and things like that. Um, and if you go back to, you know, Pearl Harbor, look, you had the uh, Arab oil embargo um, and that was a recession. Um, and so it took a while to come out of that. 9-11, similar, uh, took a while to come out of that. But Iraq war, um, Iraq invades Kuwait. Um, we moved through those pretty pretty easily mm -hmm. without recession. So, you know, I think, I think the Fed has a very uh, tough attitude act uh, of balancing um, of raising rates too high we've got inflation really I mean we were we were using the word transitory until you know frankly when when Russia invaded and that that pushed energy into sort of a new position I think how we, we had looked at it uh, in COVID it, is it was sort of unique you had the global supply chain issues you had um, uh, energy impacting inflation, but energy was unique because essentially the world came to a halt. Um, as we were sort of moving to things such as as wages and rents being the the inflationary pressures going forward, all of a sudden energy reemerged, and now it's looking very sticky. So it's it's a balancing act. Um, and, and 
how we do that really is, is within portfolios. We've got them positioned to sort of uh, weather inflationary and non-inflationary inflationary environments, uh, including things such as broad real assets, which incorporate things like global infrastructure, commodities, things like gold are in there, um, and REITs as well. So things that can perform well in inflationary environments, but that can also um, introduce uh, equity-like beta exposure during non-inflationary time. So we think we've got our portfolios uh, positioned sort of that all weather to be able to, um, uh, you know, handle that sort of an environment. My guest today is Jackie Ronditi. She is a senior consultant, a certified financial planner, fiducient advisors, and we're going to take a quick break and we'll be come back. Jackie, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, some, some of the post-COVID and things that we learned in COVID. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Jackie Radani, and uh, she is a senior consultant and a certified financial planner with Fiducia Advisors and Fiducient is a company that we work with very closely. They truly are a partner. The reason I say that is because they understand our business and they work with us as our businesses. And they help us to make sure that we can provide the best investments, the best returns for our clients. And so I really appreciate, Jackie, that you're here today. And one of the reasons that I called and I said, can you do a radio show? Is because we're experiencing so much volatility in the market. And I remember in 2008, we had so much new business come in because people just didn't understand what they owned and they started to panic. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. I'm hoping that with the radio show here, people really get an idea that keep your feet on the ground and um, don't sell something and then ask if that was a great decision after. And so one of the things, Jackie, that I've noticed is even with my friends and I, even with myself, I do so much more shopping online. I have friends that actually do all their grocery shopping and they drive up and they pick it up. And I still like to squeeze the oranges and, you know, look at different things that I'm buying. But many people have changed their habits. We've got people eating differently and dating differently, shopping differently. Um, what is that impact going to have on this post um, pandemic? It's sort of changed a lot of things. How is that going to be reflected in the investments and in the companies? And no, it, that, that's a terrific question. As I said, from uh, my home office two years into the pandemic, um, you know, things have definitely changed how we how we shop, how we again date, how we school, how we work, yes. and 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 it's 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 changing. And I and I think um, you know office space. There's there's so many things that um, have to be sort of figured out, have to reinvent themselves. Um, I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think. I think we're going to start seeing um, technologies that sort of support this more remote environment. You know, they're, they're the Zooms, but I think you'll see more innovation um, going forward. Um, but, you know, as, as we see, see that sort of uh, being pushed out, we'll, we'll communicate it. And, you know, we're talking to our managers all the time and, you know, 
post-COVID world is is different. You know, we're seeing it, you know, essentially the, the Fed sort of um, really pumped everything into the market to support that uh, COVID environment. And, and, and that kind of leads me to sort of the, the second thing I wanted to talk about, just just policymaker tightrope, that balancing act that the, the, the Fed and other central banks are going to have to to take um, to um, you know do do not too much but enough. Um, we've got inflation, runaway inflation. Um, if you've been to the store lately, you've felt it um, uh, at, at the you know the register. Um, you see shelves that are empty. It could be random things like milk. Um, the last was at the store. I was just in Michigan where we saw gas prices of just regular at five nineteen. So you are definitely seeing in, in inflation. Um, you know, really raises its head. Um, and so now you've got the Fed entering a new phase of removing that emergency accommodation put in place to offset the negative effects of COVID on the economy and financial markets. Um, now they'll have to balance, again, moderating inflation and not adding material volatility to the markets. Um, last week, the Fed raised rates by 25 basis points to a range of 0.25 to 250 to address that spiraling inflation. Um, the first increase since December 18th. Um, and then you've got the normalization of monetary monetary policy, um, which also involves shrinking the Fed uh, balance sheet, frankly, a process that could begin sooner um, uh, than most investors had anticipated previously. Um, and then you had FOM, uh, FOMC officials also indicating a, an aggressive path ahead with rate increases coming at each of the remaining six meetings in 2022. That would put us at 1.9% by year end. Um, and that's a full percentage point higher than indicated in December. Um, and so you've, you've got to start thinking about, um, you know, and, and then on an inflation front, the Fed forecast um, now envisioned inflation pressures broadening and persisting at higher rates than pre previously anticipated. So, so that's where you have to start thinking about your, your portfolio um, and, you know, uh, what, what, what should we be doing? Um, you know, within fixed income, you've got, um, uh, you know, duration, uh, which moves sort of in lockstep with that accommodation. Um, and so uh, investors haven't been getting compensated for the uh, interest rate interest rate risk they bear. And so now we have to sort of think about that environment a bit, bit differently. Um, and we really think it's a favorable environment for active fixed income investing to add alpha, manage interest rate risk. Um, and when you factor in inflation, you're really looking at negative real returns within fixed income. So nominal less inflation. Couple that with shifty global monetary policy, really a healthy environment for active management. So we get the question often, well, what do rising rates mean for bonds? Um, bonds can still do well in rising rate environments. Um, if you consider the last seven hiking periods, the core bond benchmark, the, the Bloomberg US Ag Index declined in only two of those seven periods and average a nearly 4% return. Um, those tier, two periods with low single digit losses were a five, uh, far cry from the double digit uh, corrections stocks often experience. Um, and then in this environment of rising rates, 
you know, what does that look like for equities, which have just basically risen, not based on earnings, but more based on the accommodative stance um, along the way. Um, history actually indicates that 2022 is likely to end on a better foot than it started. So U.S. stocks have historically performed well during periods when the Fed raised rates as a growing economy tends to support corporate profit growth and the stock market. Um, in fact, stocks have risen at an average annualized rate of 9% during the 12 Fed rate hike cycles since the 1950s and delivered positive returns in 11 of those instances. The one exception uh, was during the 72-74 period, which coincided with the 73-75 recession um, that we, we highlighted uh, earlier uh, during the uh, Arab oil embargo. So, um, you know, we think that's important uh, within, uh, you know, equities is, is not to be, you know, staying the course. There's a place for, for bonds. There's a place for, for equities. Um, we also think um, maintaining allocation to emerging markets is important as these markets remain a, a important diversifier. Uh, we've talked global policy, but China, uh, they're really the outlier um, and their central bank has uh, provided near-term stimulus in a reversal of other central banks who are turning more hawkish. So it may create opportunities. And while those markets have lagged, um, they still remain an important diversifier. Um, and markets are cyclical. And so those markets will come back in favor um, at some point. Um, you know, and we, we get the questions. There's a lot of talk about China right now. Um, you know, they're helping Russia. Should we, should we carve out China? Should we not invest in, in China? We, 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 we don't think that that's the case. We, we continue to advocate uh, for China exposure. Um, you know, we, we don't, uh, some of the spotlight on, on China is, will they pull something similar to Taiwan? Um, it's our view um, that, frankly, there's there's just too much at risk for them to do anything. Um, and I just cite um, a couple of reasons. Russia has, has done more to protect Taiwan than anyone else. Um, it, it's our view that swift and decisive economic response many countries and companies have taken against Russia have materially increased the penalty of China taking similar actions in Taiwan. So there, that's just a substantial deterrent that we think no, um, um, nothing is going to happen. Um, I'd highlight the U.S., the EU, and Japan make up 43.6% of Chinese exports. So, you know, you could simply uh, do the math and it stacks up against China, uh, how costly losing relationships with certain regions could be, um, with the U.S. alone representing 17% of China's exports. Um, and then China remains a, a relatively rational actor, I would say, um, um, agree or not with China's methods, their objectives are fairly clear towards economic prosperity. So um, we, we don't expect um, any any sort of action or or, 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 or or aggression to come out of of China. You know, Jackie, that is such a great detail. And I know that with our clients, we have been um, getting back to our clients on a regular basis because when this market is volatile, it goes back to what you were saying before. Um, it's like a roller coaster and nobody gets off of a roller coaster when it's going. You know, you kind of wait and then you get off. Um, but I look at our clients and specifically that's where I can talk from. And I was mentioning it to you earlier. 
our clients haven't been panicking or calling. And we really attribute that to us staying in touch with them, to keeping them apprised of what we're doing, because they're banking on the fact that we're talking to people like you and we're making good decisions on their money. But they also need to take responsibility, I believe, to be educated and to call their advisors and to ask their advisors or their stockbrokers, what can I expect my portfolio to do in a down market? What can I expect in a rising market? If the market is down and I'm taking out, you know, $5,000 a month to live on, where will that money come when the markets are down? And uh, are they rebalancing? And are they making sure that whatever I'm allocating to stocks or bonds that is actually consistent regardless of the market is up or down. And when people really can feel that sense that somebody's got my back, they don't panic. And so I would say just what you said earlier, if you're not sleeping at night and if you're really struggling, get on the phone, call your advisor, find out what your expectations are, find out where you are. And truly and honestly, if you're not happy, do something else because it's, you really have to be your own advocate and you can't just sit back and hope it turns out all right because it's really based on the investments that you hold and exactly. the quality. It's, it's not, you know, Jackie, when people are listening to the news, it's like taking a drink out of a fire hose. Just because all these things are happening, it doesn't mean that it's really happening within their portfolio to their investments. They need to take this information, which is why I was wanted you to help them to understand take it and apply it to what they own, not to what the world has exactly. or somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a great point because there's so much noise out there. And if, if, yes. if you just, if you, if you get lost into it, you know, you, you do need to educate and, and ask the questions, Hey, what, what is my Russia exposure? And frankly, you're going to find out it's very small. I mean, Russia is an important uh, player on the geo field, but they, they don't impact the capital markets. They're, they're much smaller. They're 3% of the uh, EM index on the bond side. They were a quarter percent of uh, emerging markets debt. So it's very small, not to say it's not significant, but, you know, ask those questions and, and you raise your hand because, you know, if you're not sleeping at night, but you're not sharing it with your advisor, nobody knows. And so, you know, plans, investment plans evolve. Uh, and, and that's what your advisor is there to, to help you do is, is guide you as, you know, as your risk tolerances change, um, portfolios can change. And that's an okay thing. That's a good thing. And, and, you know, I would encourage anyone that's sort of struggling with all this noise and World War Three, and, you know, there's just so much uh, bad news. Um, you know, you'll find out, you know, most of the time that, you know, you, you, you do have a plan and knowing that plan and knowing, wow, hey, there's inflation out there, but I've got protection in my portfolios that will even be beneficial in non-inflationary environments. So I'm in a good place. And so I think being aware, asking questions, um, you know, it, it's sort of on everybody because the advisor can, you know, hold all the, the, the knowledge. Um, um, and, you know, if, if you're not doing calls with them or participating on webinars um, that they have, then you're just not hearing that information. Yes. So I encourage everyone to, um, you know, be proactive as well, because, you know, if they're reaching out, you're not responding. They just don't know if, if, if you're not feeling good about um, your portfolio. Well, and we're going to take a quick break, but they work for you. 
Yes. They work for you. And if you're intimidated by calling, if you're not getting the answers that you wanted, you wouldn't continue going to a physician that was taking care of your health care if you weren't comfortable and if they weren't answering your questions. So remember, um, whoever you're working with works for you. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sets. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you would like to know more about us, and we surely would like you to, please go to ellenbecker.com and look us up. If you are enjoying the show and you find it really helpful and you'd like to share it with someone, you can also go to ellenbecker.com, go to the radio shows, and it's very easy to forward on and to share the information that my guest Jackie Rondini has today. And earlier I said she's a senior consultant consultant. She is a certified financial planner for fiduciary advisors and, um, and for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. You know, Jackie, everybody has been complaining about the cost of gas. And I think that's where this inflation, where it really hits people in their pocketbooks. And when I started working, when we started with talking with clients and meeting with clients again, um, in person, it was always, well, how much cash do you have on hand and how are you feeling? I mean, people had so much cash on hand because there was nothing to spend it on. <laughs> and we encouraged them, you know what? Keep your money in your portfolio. It's been earning so beautiful. Start spending down the cash that you have because it's not really earning much in your checking account or savings account. Well, now that money is starting to run out, the extra that they had. And they're starting to now really feel the pinch of inflation and the fear of inflation. How are you approaching that? Inflation. So um, the, there's a there's a, a lot of things I'll comment on here. Um, first of all, timing inflation is very, very difficult. Um, is it transitory or persistent? Um, those are probably the two things that you've heard. Um, and I'm, I'm going to take a step back to um, 2020 and 21. They were very we, unique, as we all know. We lived through them. Um, and some of the inflationary pressures were unique as well and unlikely to persist, I would say. In 2021, inflation was led by rising energy and supply chain disruptions and, and, and things such as that. Um, we had used car prices were up 37% from a year ago due to supply chain constraints that have been um, that have limited new vehicle production. Um, and most of you know, most of us don't think about used car sales um, as or used cars as appreciating asset class. And then you had energy, which was unique as well, because essentially the world sort of shut down. So that was that was what um, was driving inflation. Um, um, if you asked me several weeks ago, I would have said those are likely to subside only to be replaced by um, more persistent things such as wages, where we've seen a record number of resignations, uh, low layoffs, um, really more buying power behind employees, not employers. So if you're in the hiring business, you know that right now. It is a tough environment. Um, and then rents and housing. Um, we're seeing uh, those just go up and up that could put upward pressure on inflation. But now, since the Russian invasion, energy is back in the spotlight. Um, so we expect even more 
of that persistent or stickiness as the recent spike in a variety of commodities, including energy prices, um, may drive up another leg in, in consumer prices. And if you look, um, you know, and I, I frankly didn't know this, if you look at the Black Sea region, um, it is a major export hub for grains. Um, you've got Russia, Ukraine, Belarus accounting for 17% of global corn and 40% of global wheat, 40% of global wheat. Even minor disruptions to Ukrainian production of grain could be significant with global inventories already depleted. And you're seeing that at, at the, the warehouses and the shopping markets, just certain things are just not there anymore. We just can't get them right now. Um, and then you've got Russia. They're also a major producer uh, for aluminum and nickel. Uh, prices for these metals have also surged. Um, the aluminum market was already widely expected to be in deficit this year, but before any Russian uh, disruption um, with global inventory levels at um, or near five-year lows. And, you know, when you put this in perspective, the rate of inflation might not return to pre-pandemic levels of less than 2% for at least another three years. That's the blunt message the Federal Reserve de delivered last week. For the first time since 2007, the central bank predicted inflation would end up the year above 3%. In fact, well above that level. Um, the Fed estimated the rate would would. Um, would be average 4.3% in 2022. Um, and that's up from 2.6 estimate for just four months ago and 1.9 a year earlier. Um, so those are pretty um, large alterations for a conservative central bank um, that rarely makes big changes in, it for, in, in, in its forecast. So I think, I think the uh, really run up in inflation has, has been fast and furious more so than, you know, we didn't have a crystal ball with, with Russia and Ukraine and how that would play out and how quickly the sanctions would start impacting um, those, those markets. But um, definitely seeing uh, those forecasts rise. And if, if you recall, the CPI rose by 7.9% through February. That was the fastest pace of annual inflation in 40 years. You had rising foods and rent contributing, um, as did gas prices, but that's going to be more pronounced in, in the March report. Um, and so uh, a big deal there. Um, in, in February, the cost of food rose, um, you know, frankly, very difficult for those consumers on tight budgets, um, you know, as as. As, as sort of that cash dries up, it's 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 sort of frightening for people as as you're seeing a big run up in just day to day um, purchases, you know, just at the grocery store. Well, and everything is changing. And, and just on a personal note, um, I have I have a, a beautiful condo downtown, and I decided right before COVID that I was going to make a change and kind of move a little bit closer to where some of my friends were and things like that. And I thought I'm at a just buy this condo and I'll put my other one up for sale and um, COVID hit. And in my condo, I had a great room and it you know, overlooked the lake and it had a, a very large master bedroom, but a very small guest room. And to my surprise, I really had trouble selling my condo because everybody was working from home and they wanted a much larger <laughs> separate um, room. And they didn't want to work at the beautiful large um, counter, they wanted to kind of work and hide it and go away. And it took me forever to sell it, basically because of COVID and times had changed. And those are the kinds of things that people are seeing. Now we're seeing these crazy prices on houses. And 
it's so hard to predict what's going on, but I still go back to my theory, even though the world is changing around us, if we own high quality investments, if we own those things that pay us good dividends and good quality bonds, and in our philosophy, if you're spending that $5,000 a month, um, I am going to have $5,000 a month put away in bonds somehow, you know, maybe $100,000 that will come due every single year so that you've got a cushion. And I think bonds really work well for those types of things, also for rebalancing. But people get so frightened and they panic that I think that's when they lose money. It's if you can stay with it and if you know that what you have is good, people don't lose money when they when they own high quality. And that's a philosophy that we've had, which is a reason that we work with you to make sure that we're consistent in how we manage money. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and so, you know, staying the course is, is so important. Um, doing things a knee-jerk reaction is, is rarely going to um, get you in a better place. You might feel better for a couple of days that you don't own something, but staying the course and knowing that you, you have a sound plan in place. Now, portfolios aren't going to perform all the well, nor are all of your underlying asset classes. But over time, you know, we expect them to, you know, de deliver, you know, and we're looking out 10 years, um, you know, our return forecast. So we're, these are, you know, we're not looking out tomorrow. So staying the course um, and again, reassessing your risk profile, you know, you, things change, uh, you know, people go through life changes, family changes, and your situation may change from 10 years ago when you started working with your advisor. I think it's very important as, as you change and evolve and, and frankly, your, your living situation, you know, uh, Whatever that may be has has evolved. Your your portfolio needs may have may have changed over time. So you know at least annually having that conversation with your advisor. Are, are you are we doing what we need to be doing? Um, and am I sleeping at night based on on that? And so um, you know just having that sound uh, uh, investment plan in place, um, staying diversified, staying the course is 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 important. I think a lot of times people think when you're talking about money management, that all you're talking about is the money, the investable money that you're buying and selling and do things. But it really is so much broader than that. For example, in a market like this, if you have things that you don't wanna own, it's a good time to sell them and take losses against those big gains that we've had. And to if you, we've had, we actually had two employees who decided through the pandemic that they were working at home, their husbands were working at home, that they were gonna be stay-at-home parents. And they actually didn't come back to work. Well, that changes the whole scope of how you're investing, what you're investing, what the future might look like, how you're saving for retirement now with having one person saving than two. Those are conversations that hugely impact your bottom line and can make a big difference in how you invest your money. Uh, and, and it is changing. It's, it's not a it's not like my Julie, Julie always says, it's not a turkey that you set it in the oven and don't think about it for a while. Yeah, it, it, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not set it and for, forget it. And, you know, that, that's a, that's the exact you know thing that, that we preach is is, you know, things evolve. And as as they evolve, you know, we recognize that they have to change. We have to change. And so, you know, we're constantly um, having that conversation. You know, are we 
positioning correctly in portfolios and how we look at fixed income because that landscape has really changed in fixed income where um, that duration light exposure, we've tried to sort of move away a little bit from that. Um, and, and so uh, we, we've evolved over time and portfolios have, have evolved over time, but um, your, your personal situation does as well. And as that, that evolves, communicating with your, your advisor is, is, is so important to achieve those goals because you, you can get there, you know, even evolving your portfolio over time. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's why you have an advisor that, um, that does work for you. And so, you know, use them because that's, they, they do work for you. They do. My guest today is Jackie Ronditi. She is a senior consultant, a certified financial planner for the Fiducian Advisor. And with that, we're going to take a break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Jackie Rondini. You've been um, listening to her for almost 44 minutes. We've only got about six or seven minutes left. And when I was talking to Jackie during the break, I said, you know, we we can help you control volatility. We can't really control the volatility in the market. We can by investing, we can create safety and we can help you with other things. But what I'm hoping Jackie can help you with today is to take the volatility out of your world where you're not sleeping at night or where you're worried about what is going on. And so I guess, Jackie, that would be the last question I have for you is how can people approach this? As I said earlier, it's like there's so much going on and trying to navigate it. And it's like taking a drink out of a fire hose. It just comes at you so quickly that it almost makes you afraid just because of yep. that. Yep, yep. no, it, it's, a, it's an excellent point. Um, and I just remind folks to be comfortable with your risk exposure. You know, just like Karen said, if you're not sleeping at night, that's not how it should be. Um, there, there are a lot of ways to invest and, 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 and they can be molded around risk tolerances and still get you the exposures that you need to fulfill your, your return requirement. Um, and so volatility, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel good, but um, just going back to 1983, the mean intra-year drawdown was 9.3%. So, hey, you had a drop of nearly 10%, but the mean calendar year return was 13.5%. And so like, when you think about that, okay, I had a dip, 10%, it didn't feel good, you're hoping it stopped. But if you stayed the course, you were rewarded. Um, and so I just like to point that out. So, you know, how does this play out in portfolios? Um, how does this volatility play out? When, when you think about aggregate volatility in general, um, we've got a slight bias in US allocations in our equity portfolios, um, tends to be a little less volatile than your EM and your foreign, still think they're very important um, diversifiers, um, but uh, sort of taming that volatility a little bit. Um, we still maintain exposure um, to EM, given where China is in the economic cycle. Um, so we don't think it's a good time to abandon um, emerging markets or China in general, uh, compelling equity valuations and makes up nearly a third of the index. Um, in fixed income, um, you've, you've got to think about interest rate risk um, and how to potentially manage that uh, or take advantage of it. And I, I think that's the way to look at it. Um, and we've um, had allocations to dynamic 
dynamic bonds or unconstrained bonds. We think they're prudent. Um, while core bonds serve uh, a purpose in the portfolio, currently investors aren't fully compensated for the interest rate risk they bear. So we've offered um, sort of uh, skilled active white, uh, managers a wider opportunity set to sort of pull more levers um, we think it's warranted in this low return environment. So just looking at your portfolio, you're still uh, getting those asset classes, but there's ways to sort of manage that risk and working with your advisor, giving shifts um, uh, in the inflation trend, allocating to broad real assets and protect portfolio from decay over time. Um, so looking out over 10 years, we look to real assets as being a valuable diversifier. Um, and so things like that are important in, in portfolios. And, and keeping the exposures um, that we think will get you to where you, you need to be long-term, but managing the, the risk along the way in those underlying asset classes. Um, uh, we understand um, the dangers related to attempting to time markets. And I'll just, I'll just sort of end with this. Um, and instead to uh, prefer a more intentional approach, um, which is really four-pronged. Develop an investment strategy based on your unique inflows, outflows, required return, and pay special attention to that risk tolerance. Uh, second, construct a broadly and thoughtfully diversified portfolio, portfolio using both active and passive strategies, um, lower cost in, in efficient markets, uh, and then use those uh, fees uh, in less efficient overseas and emerging foreign uh, equity markets. Adopt a systematic approach to rebalancing. So have that cadence. Now this year may present an opportunity um, to off-cycle rebalance, but have a cadence, um, and then be patient and stay diversified. Um, higher volatility means a higher probability of making an emotional decision at the wrong time, exactly the wrong time. So um, again, back to my early comment on assessing your risk posture ahead of volatility and make sure you're comfortable with it. Things change, the world change, we change, our life situations have changed. Um, we as investors face uh, many unknowns as we navigate 2022. We've got the Russian-Ukraine situation, uh, lingering COVID spikes, midterm elections here in the U.S. So a lot of uncertainty um, as we 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 go into um, the second half of 2022. And, you know, I'll just add that on a, on a quick note too, Jackie. One of the things that when we sit down with our clients, we pull out um, the chart of the volatility that we've experienced over the last year, because that's really the one that's the scariest, of course. But we'll always say, well, would you rather me put new money in or reinvest your dividends at this high peak here or at the very low part? And I think a lot of times people forget that they have dividends coming into their portfolios. And that's the whole idea of total return. And when you do hang in there, and if you own quality and those dividends go in at those low times of the market, you're buying more shares. And the person who wins is the person with the most shares because you're paid a dividend based on the amount of your share, not on the value of your share. Growth is based on value, what it's worth. But the dividends come in, and if you can buy them at a lower value, it is truly a win-win. My guest today is Jackie Roditi. She is a senior consultant and a certified financial planner. She's great, as you can tell. I love talking to her, and I love the insight that she has. And Jackie, thank you so much for being my guest today. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, 
before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.